Testing, one, two. Okay, we're good. Well, I trust that you, let me start again. Good morning. Good morning. I'm glad you're here. Everybody's got a good smile on their face. Tells me everybody's had a good week. Everybody's looking forward to Thanksgiving and hopefully being able to be with some <clears throat> friends and relatives. And uh, I've heard good job reports lately and people getting good sleep. And <clears throat> God is good all the time. So I'm grateful you're here again. I hope you are too. We, it's a beautiful day. We've got some great hymns and, and spiritual songs to sing. So I invite you to stand with me as we begin our worship service. We will start with prayer, and then we'll sing some great songs. So would you bow with me? Father, we do praise you for today. Uh, we recognize that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, that you are our Heavenly Father who lavishes your love and grace and mercy on us every day. We cannot begin to comprehend how much you love us, how much you bless us, how grateful we should be, especially thinking Thanksgiving coming up. Every, word out of our, every other word out of our mouth ought to be, thank you, Jesus, thank you, God, for all you have done, for all you do daily, hourly, minute by minute for us. Pray that you'll encourage our hearts this morning as we... Uh, worship together, that you would use these songs to remind us of your love for us, that you would use them to uh, help us encourage each other in our walk with you, and that you would encourage us to love you more and seek to live for you more. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to start out with uh, a great hymn. <clears throat> There is no sin that you can commit that God did not pay for on the cross. No matter what Satan tells you, no matter how guilty we feel about some of the things that we have done, Jesus paid it all, and he paid for every sin, and his blood can cover every sin. His grace, and God's grace, is greater than all our sin. Grace untold, points to the 
song reminding us of how great God's uh, love for us is. It cannot be measured. <laughs> how high, how wide, how deep, how long. There is nothing in this earth that can measure how much God loves us. No eye has seen, and no ear has heard, and no mind has ever conceived the glorious things that you have prepared for everyone who has believed. Sweet and how strong is your love. 
were filled with unspeakable joy. Riches of wisdom, unsearchable wealth, and the wonder of knowing your voice. You are a treasure and a great reward. Our hope and our glorious King. How high and how wide, how deep and how long, how sweet and how strong is your love. How lavish your grace, how faithful your ways, how great is your love. glorious things that you have prepared for everyone who has believed. You brought us here and you called us your own and made us joint heirs with your Son. How high and how wide, how deep sweet and how strong is your love how lavish your grace how faithful your ways how great is your love oh lord amen you may be seated amazing, very uh, relieving to know that my salvation doesn't depend on me at all in any way, shape, or form. Galatians 2, 8, 9 says, by grace we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works so that nobody will ever boast. It's a great scripture song, great verse to memorize for our own sake to remember that everything in our salvation we're depending on God for for by grace you saved through faith Walk in them. For 
grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Unto good works which God before ordained that we should walk in them. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Another great scripture song found in the book of Micah. Uh, not, not too many people memorize too many verses from there, but that's actually one of the great verses of uh, the prediction of Jesus that he would be born in Bethlehem is found in the book of Micah as well. This one has to do with what God requires of us. It says, Micah says, He's shown you, O man, what's good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. He has shown thee. He has shown thee. Oh man. oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. He has shown thee. He has shown thee. Oh man, oh man what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. But to do justly. But to do justly. And to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. But to do justly, but to do justly, and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. He has shown thee, he has shown thee, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. He has shown thee, he has shown thee, oh man, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. But to do justly, but to do justly, and love mercy, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. He has shown thee, he has shown thee, oh man, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. He has shown thee, he has shown thee, oh man. Oh man good and what the Lord requires of thee. 
but to do justly, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with Thy God. But to do justly, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with Thy God. One more before Steve comes up. And uh, I guess as one of the things I think Steve's going to do today is read all of our things that we're thankful for. Next week? Okay, next week Steve's going to read all the things we're thankful for. <laughs> but as Thanksgiving's coming up, we're thinking about that. Uh, one of the easiest things to think about and be thankful for is the faithfulness of God. Every day, every way, he's there for us, a father who meets our every need, keeps us safe, loves us, gives us our salvation. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning. Mercies I see, all I have needed, thy hand hast provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today. Bright hope for to tomorrow. Blessings are mine with ten thousand besides. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. 
I have the privilege of reading our scripture verse for this morning. If you take a Bible in the pew in front of you, if you brought one, or if you just want to simply listen to the Word of God, we're going to be reading from Psalm 107, the first 16 verses. Psalm 107, verses 1 to 16. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains. For they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down the gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Let's pray. Father, it sounds like the psalmist is talking about Israel and all the things that they suffered through, but um, I've never been enslaved and in chains physically, but I've been enslaved to sin, and I know the chains of addiction and being far from you, the loneliness, the despair, the feeling of all those things. But I know your comfort. I know your love. I know your forgiveness. I know your welcoming back of anyone who comes to you and confesses their sin and asks for forgiveness and seeks to be reestablished with you and have that relationship again. And that's beyond words. The fact that you could just as easily say, you've had enough chances, go away. But again and again, you forgive and you bring back and you love and you cherish. And you give new joy and new excitement and new peace and new love. And we praise you for that. Pray this morning as we continue to look at the Beatitudes in your word that we'd recognize how blessed we can be if we'll live in the way you desire us to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good to see all all of you here on this Lord's Day. Uh, Sang that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. 
Steve mentioned about how God is faithful with us, and, and you all know this is Thanksgiving week. I just want to read a couple verses in Psalm 77. Psalm 77, 11 and following says, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great, like our God. You're the God who works wonders. You've made known your strength among the peoples. You have by your power redeemed your people. Very, very encouraging and instructive verses. Because God wants us to remember his deeds. He says, I shall. I'm going to do it. And it's instructive to us. I will remember your deeds and then see how great a God you are. So I really do encourage you with that. We should always be doing this, is to be taking time to thinking back to what God has done. That will encourage you. And, and people that aren't thankful have a harder time moving ahead. That is, we're thankful for what God has done in the past. We're more excited. We're more encouraged to look ahead to what God is going to do. And with that, I was thinking of that verse in Daniel chapter 2. It says, it is God who changes the times. It is God who changes the epochs. You know, we live in a world that is changing rapidly around us. In fact, I thought sometime I'd like to talk more openly with you about that. We might do that this next year. Things are changing so much. And they might be changing in your own life as well. And so that's why we have times like this, because in times of change, we need to have the constant and the constant, of course, is God himself, and the constant is the word that he gives us that helps us to know how to live, never changes. And so while things might change in your life or your family, your friends, your work, or the world around us, God never changes. And so that's what we need to look at the truth. And the truth today, these Beatitudes that we look at are important. They instruct us how to live, what God wants us to do in times of change when things are difficult. So that's what we are doing. We're going through the Beatitudes one of the most famous messages that God has ever given us, one of the most famous messages Jesus ever taught. And each of these Beatitudes have three parts. One is the general blessing. The blessing is this person. The second point, a second part of the Beatitude is the condition that needs to be met to be blessed. And the third part of the Beatitude is the specific blessing that God wants to give to us. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the first two Beatitudes. Today, we're going to be looking at the next three. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. says, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. The word gentle means mild or soft. It speaks of a soothing medicine or a soft breeze. It spoke of a horse whose spirit was broken. Gentle person will be one who is meek and more submissive, tender-hearted, sometimes quiet. And of course, Jesus Christ was the, was the most gentle, the, the meekest person this world has ever seen. Just a few verses about him. Matthew 21, 5 says, Behold, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey. 2 Corinthians 10, 1 says, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Then in Matthew 11, 28, 29, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Look back at some examples. Abraham, of course, was, was gentle when he gave up his rights. You remember the story about Lot wanting the land, the good land, and, and Abraham let him have it. Joseph was gentle when his brothers came to Egypt looking for food because they had tried to do him in, but yet he didn't punished them. He was merciful, kind, and gentle towards them and, and helped them and provided for them. We got the story of, of David. 
He was gentle. He was meek towards Saul. You remember the story, and Saul was chasing after David. He wanted to kill him. And here they are in the same cave, and David's back further in the cave. He knows Saul is a little bit ahead of the cave. He could have killed him right there, but he didn't. He just let him go. Being gentle, then, has to do with how you respond to your circumstances and to the trials of life, to persecutions, to difficulties. It, re it relates to how you respond, how you react to difficult people. Being gentle means you don't get ruffled, upset, or frustrated. You don't get angry, vengeful, or violent. You're not emotionally out of control. You're not defensive. And you know people like this. They tend to just be blow up really quick and easy. Not like that. You're not like that. Gentle person is calm. He's at peace. He believes that God is in control. He believes that God's dealings with him are good. He believes that God is working all things together for good. This is the person who is gentle. And being gentle then relates to how you treat others. You're not pushy with others, not trying to force people to do what you want them to do. We have this verse in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, we proved to be gentle among you. Here is Paul's an apostle. Hey, we were gentle among you, he says, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. You understand that. I think of our daughter with her little baby, Aurora. She's gentle with Aurora. And so, too, God wants us to be gentle with people. A person who is gentle is humble. He's one who's contrite. He's submitting to God when faced with difficulties and with inconveniences and with sudden changes. You all have sudden changes. How do you respond? How do you respond to that? Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness, Colossians 3.12 says, put on a heart of kindness, compassion, heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What we see there is two different examples is that this word gentle and humble, they oftentimes go together. The point is this, is that a person has to be humble before God before he can be gentle with people. A person has to be humble in spirit before he can be gentle in action. So a person who's not gentle is not one who is humble, but a humble person then is one who will be gentle. Some people think that gentle or meek means you're gentle or meek means you're weak. You're not strong. You don't have convictions. You don't have courage. That's not true. Gentleness is of the spirit. It's of the heart. And in your heart, you're strong. You have courage. You have convictions. A gentle person, a meek person, is a strong person. It's just how he shows it. That's what happened. It's by the spirit and only by the spirit of God that a person can be gentle. We understand from the fruits of the spirit in Galatians 5:22. That it is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So how do you become gentle? It's by the power of the Spirit working in you. First Timothy 6.11 says that you're to pursue gentleness, or pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. This is what God wants you to desire. So here we are this morning. You're sitting out there, and God wants you to want to be gentle, to pursue it, to go after it, and to grow in it. That's what he wants for each one of you. Galatians 6, 1 says you're to help people who are caught in some sin with the spirit of gentleness. Again, you're not to be pushy or strong with people, but be gentle and humble towards them. 1 Peter 3, 4 says that wives are to have a gentle and quiet spirit towards their husband. This might be a tougher one for some people, especially in this culture the last 30, 40 years. Not just a cultural thing, but the husband, let's say he doesn't do something right. He doesn't say something right, and that happens a fair amount of times. I understand. I'm a husband. The wife then is still to be gentle. 
choose to be quiet in spirit. That is what it says there. To be gentle when sharing the gospel, someone, 1 Peter 3.15, says you are to be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. So that's gentleness, okay? Now what's the result? Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Amazing blessing there. Wonderful blessing. And of course, this is speaking of the ages to come. You don't in, have not inherited the earth at this time. That's not happening. That's not what's going on now. This is speaking of the ages to come, and particularly the thousand-year kingdom age when Christ is reigning over this earth. Romans 8, 16 and 17 talks about how we are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, and this is an amazing and phenomenal truth that you as a Christian are an heir of God and a co-heir of Christ. And what this means is this, in the future, this earth will be your earth. It'll be your earth. And you, with all other believers, will be reigning over this earth with Christ. And you sometimes might think, well, wait a minute now. So every believer gets this. Yes, every believer will inherit the earth. That's what Romans 8 says. But there are different degrees. We talk about being rewarded. There's different rewards, different kinds of rewards, depending on how you then live for the Lord during your time there. So this inheriting the earth, then, is going to look different for different people in terms of the work they have to do, the rewards that God gives them. But indeed... This is, a, this is amazing. And people think about this. Again, we've talked about this before. Oh, I'm going to heaven someday. No, what it says here, you'll inherit the earth. And for a thousand years, you'll be reigning with Christ over this earth. It'll be a renovated earth. It'll be an improved earth, physically speaking, before we get the new heavens and new earth talked about in Revelation 21, 1 and 2. Let's look at the next beatitude. Matthew 5, 6 is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You all know what it means to be hungry and thirsty, right? Every one of you know this. Let's say you're really hungry and you know what you really need is you need to get some food. And you eat some food, you're filled up, you're satisfied, you're content, you have all that you need. And you've done this in your life. This has happened many, many times. Oftentimes we eat, we're not really hungry, but a lot of times you are hungry. <laughs> you're hungry and you're thirsty, you know, and, and you get something to drink, you get something to eat, that's, that's it. And that's an important thing to understand here that God wants you to be hungering. But what's it say? Hungering for righteousness. Turn to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, the first three verses. Fifty-five, one to 3. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come by and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. We're talking here about being spiritually satisfied. That's what we're saying. And God wants you to know from this texture that money, food, and fame, other places say the same, is not going to satisfy you. Only God can truly satisfy you. Only God can spiritually meet your needs. Only God can really satisfy your soul and richly and abundantly and eternally so. This is so important. We live in a world and especially a country like our country where there are so many different things that you can have. So many advertisements for this, that, and the other. You go to the stores and, oh, if I had that, and it appeals to your flesh. And God is continually saying, I, only I can satisfy you. Only I can really fill, fill you up that's what he's saying here. But we're here talking here about hungering for righteousness. 
And the key, it says, to being spiritually satisfied is to be spiritually hungry. It's by having this strong desire, this pursuit, this passion in you to be righteous. And I have to ask you this morning, do you have this hunger for righteousness for your own life and for the lives of others? It is an important question. It is an extremely important question. It relates to being holy. Is this what you really want? I want righteousness. Then are you hungry for it? Are you hungering for it, spiritually speaking? That's what we're talking about here, this spiritual hunger, this spiritual satisfaction. Now, we're, we're going to talk here about briefly about believers and unbelievers. First, about unbelievers in terms of hungering. And, of course, we're not talking about being self-righteous. That is what you think you need to do to be spiritually satisfied and spiritually right with God. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what God says you need to do to obtain his righteousness. That's what we are saying. You all understand this, I believe. This righteous, righteousness, of course, comes through the work of Christ on the cross and the work of the Spirit in your heart. That's what it is. This desire for righteousness is a Spirit-led. It's a Spirit-empowered uh, ability that God gives us, and it results in us then, the unbeliever, that leads to repentance of our sin and belief in Christ, that repentance and faith in Christ. And then the result of that, of course, that we'll be saved and we'll be righteous before the Lord, righteous and holy, it says in Ephesians 1, 4, holy in God's sight. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. There's, there's, when you look at Romans, it probably talks about this subject of righteousness more than any other section of, of, the, of the Bible. But Romans 3, I love this, how it talks about righteousness as it relates to our salvation. A key, a key section. One of, the, one of the, I believe, the most, it's one of my favorites, one of the most important. It says in verses um, 21 to 26, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in God. That's the most succinct way, but the most thorough way to explain how God wants us to be ones then who are righteous. Turn then to John 4, 4 and we read an example here. John chapter 4, you know the story of the woman at the well and meets up with Jesus, but just a couple of thoughts from here. John chapter 4, and we'll look at the end of verse 13 into verse 14. Well, verse 13, everyone, every, Jesus answered and said, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. We're talking about being righteous, talking about being spiritually satisfied. That's what we're saying. We understand this story. Jesus tells this woman, woman that she needs to thirst for living water, and she's probably a little bit confused initially, and drink it. And drinking of this water, then, she can be one who has eternal life. She can be one who becomes righteous. She can be one, then, who has this relationship with God. That, that is what he's saying to her. But this woman, we know the story, had been seeking relationships with men, had been married actually five times before. 
and now was living with another man. But she saw her sin and that relationships with men did not satisfy. That's what she understood. And here is Jesus right in her midst. Just her and Jesus, the Messiah, and she realized she understands God through his spirit helps her to see then that she is a sinner, helps her to see that he wants to forgive her, that he wants to make her righteous. That's, that's what happens here. And so this, this sinful woman then repents, and she was made righteous. That's what happened. That is the story. That is the truth. There's a good chance we'll meet this woman up in heaven someday, this woman at the well who's made righteous. She had eternal life. She was spiritually satisfied. She is righteous then in the Lord. Turn to John chapter 7, verses that correspond directly, really directly to this. John seven thirty-seven to 39. The last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit whom whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But the point I want to say is this. We're talking here now about righteousness in terms of the one who is saved, but now we're talking about righteousness. We want to shift to the uh, one who is saved. I believe most of you here are saved. Is God still wants you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you think about this again. Every day, I, I believe you guys eat food every day, right? Twice, once, twice. You eat food and you get hungry, Okay. Think about this. That should be a reminder to you of every day, am I hungry? Am I hungering for righteousness? That should be the example. You should not forget this. As you go through this today, you're going to probably eat some food today. And tomorrow, you're hungering for food. Are you hungering for righteousness? And it's more important than hungering for food. It really is. So might you think about this. This is what God wants us to understand here. And so, but this hungering... And thirsting for righteousness, it relates, as I said, to our own salvation, but also relates to the salvation of others. And so what I want to say here is very simply is this, is God wants you to, of course, be righteous in your own life, but also you want others to be righteous before him. And that should be your heart, your desire, your hungering, not just for righteousness within yourself, but hungering that others then are righteous before God as well. Sometimes you might look at people, and, and, and I, I sometimes do this. And I look at them, and I know what they're doing or saying. It may be somebody in the news, you know, and I condemn them. Hey, those person, that person is not a Christian. He's rejected Christ, and, and God, you need to condemn that person. I mean, we think that way, okay? But we need to go back to John three seventeen, where Jesus basically says, now is not the time for judging. <laughs> That's the future. And so the point I'm saying is you look at the lost around this world. Don't condemn them. Have compassion on them, and remember that one time you were like them. And God had compassion on you. Christ had compassion on you. Christ had mercy on you. It's so, so important. It's easy for us as Christians to forget this. Might we not condemn people but have compassion on them? Then pray. Pray that God moves that person to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Pray that God's spirit reveals to that person their sin. Pray that, that God then puts in that person a spirit of repentance. We understand from 2 Timothy, I believe, chapter 2, that God's got to give a person who is unsaved repentance. Repentance is a gift from God. A simple verse in, on praying for the salvation is just a very good one. Paul praying, Romans 10.1, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. My heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Now, 
this verse about hungering and thirsting for righteousness indeed is a salvation verse, but it's also a sanctification verse, and I want to talk about this a little bit. When you go back to Romans, I just read to you Romans 3, 21 to uh, 26, and that talks about righteousness as it relates to your salvation. Romans 6 is all about your righteousness as it relates to your sanctification. So we've got two different points here, and this is probably what relates more to you. There's a verse here, and this is one of my, I love this verse about how to live our lives. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That should be a general thing you do for your life as a whole, but specifically, you get up in the morning, you present your members to God, your head, your hands, your feet, everything about you. You present your members to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That is, God, might you use my body, might you use my life, might you use my hands, whatever I have, do what is righteous. That's, that's what he's saying there. And so this hungering and thirsting for righteousness for the Christian is an essential. It's it's essential key for his spiritual growth. It's an essential key for his sanctification. And for you to be growing in holiness, you need to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That's what you need to do. And I mean on a daily basis. And if we're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, then our spiritual growth will be stunted. We will not be close to God. We will not be useful to God. That verse in Hebrews 12, verse um, 14. Without sanctification or without righteousness, no one will see the Lord. You will not have a good walk with the Lord if you're not righteous. It's so basic, just being holy in our hearts. That's what God wants for us. Again, I think of how we need food and water to physically live. We need righteousness then to spiritually live. That's what God wants for us. As, as Peter said in, in 1 Peter 1, as Jesus was said by God, be holy, for I am holy. It's a command God gives you, a very simple. One of the, I would say, most important commands that God gives you, you be holy because I am holy. God is our Father. He is our Heavenly Father. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, of course, means holy. We should then want to be holy like our Father is holy. That's what he desires for us. And so hungering and thirsting for righteousness means you want to grow in holiness means when you see your sin, you don't like your sin. You're convicted of your sin. You say, God, help me to get victory over sin. That's what he will do if you go to him and honestly say, Lord, help me. I don't want this in my life. And it might be just some sin that happens one day. It might be a rut, a rut kind of sin. It just got ingrained in your life. And regardless, regardless. Turn to Romans 7. These are very important verses in this particular area here. You know these verses, but I want to read them. Again, just read through a number here. It's about Paul and about his struggle with sins. Romans chapter 7, we begin in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I should like, would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But I, if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. 
for the good that I want to, I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, but I, for I joyfully concur with the law of God, the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. It communicates as good as any passage I know in the Bible of our struggle with sin. And every one of you here, I know. I know what I'm like. I know what the Bible says. I know what you're like. You all struggle with sin. This is it. And sometimes you're going along and says, man, am I even saved? This sin is so strong in me. It happens sometimes like that. Some days are worse than others. Sometimes they're worse than others. And you have this struggle with sin. And so God wants you then to keep struggling with sin as you go through life and then get the victory. Turn to Galatians. A similar thought here summed up just in a couple verses. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. That verse summing up what we just read in Romans chapter 7. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So the key then is what? It's not you in your own self, your own being, trying to gut up the strength to get victory over sin. It's God's by his spirit doing it. That's the only thing. It's where you say, God, I'm in this battle here. I'm fighting this in. You've got to do it through me. I can't do it. And it is a victory of the spirit. If you get the victory at all over sin, it's because the spirit of God is helping you get the victory. That is what is taking place, and that's what God wants for you then. Turn to Romans 8. A couple more verses on this subject. Because it is so important. This, is, this, is, this, this hungering and thirsting for righteousness is, again, a very practical for our Christian's life, Christian lives. Romans 8, verses 12 to 14. So then, brethren, we are not under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But by the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body you will live. You see what it says there? As you go through life, and there's some temptation to sin, or you do sin, you put it to death. You stop it, say, Lord, I'm sorry, and you move on, okay? Is learning then to confess your sin, to say no to that sin, to get victory over this sin. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, then these are sons of God. That is, the ones who are getting victory over their sin are the ones who are being led by the Spirit, led by God's Word, empowered by the Spirit, and then getting victory. And so these verses then say that we can't be practically righteous in our own power, it's only by the power of the Spirit that we can get victory over sin, that we can be practically righteous. That is, God's Spirit's got to lead you. God's Spirit's got to empower you. God's Spirit's got to help you, enable you then to say no to this sin and to get victory over the sin and then be living a righteous life. That's what God wants for you. And of course, you know you'll never be perfect in this life, but, but you still need to keep hungering and thirsting. <laughs> I remember, I heard this a long time ago, and and, and this guy was 80, early 80s. He says, man, I'm still struggling with sin. I said, I thought, I thought of this. It's sort of depressing in one hand. Man, don't you just get victory as you get older? I'm still struggling. I thought, okay, that's the way it is. 
We're going to struggle until the day we go to heaven. That's what it is, until we fly away. That's my new phrase. You know, we have this word, pass away. You can say it if you want, but I'm trying not to say it. We talk about somebody physically dying. It says in 2 Chronicles 30, 2 Chronicles 20, 21. 2 Chronicles 21, 20, that's it. 2 Chronicles 21, 20, about King Jehoram. You know what it says? At least my version. He passed away to no one's regret. He was an evil king. Okay. He passed away to no one's regret. Then I go to reading Psalm 90, and it talks about the believers, and they flew away. So if a believer dies, he's flying away. I like that. Fly, I'll fly away. You know the song. So I'm a little. Okay. It's by God's word and by his spirit that I mentioned that before. By God's word, by his spirit, that you then will be hungering for this righteous and then being enabled to be righteous, to grow in righteousness, to be holy, to be sanctified, to be ones who have this close walk with God and then be in, are being used by him. That's what the Lord wants for you. So we continue. The result of this hungering and thirsting for righteousness is what? That you'll be satisfied. We sort of said this a little bit, but just a little bit more here. You'll be satisfied. And we're talking about spiritual satisfaction. You'll be content. You'll be at peace. You'll be filled with the Spirit. You'll be filled with love. That's what will happen. Psalm 63. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 63. Very good verses on this particular subject. 63, 1 through 5. Verse 1, it says, says, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. We're talking about your soul being satisfied, not your stomach, okay? We don't talk about food here much. We're a church. We talk about your soul. God wants your soul to be satisfied. You know, we talk about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And, and what it says here is in verse 1, is, is David was, was seeking God. He was hungering for God. So a corollary here, if you're hungering for righteousness, you're really hungering for this relationship with God. That's what you want. That's what you desire. And, and, and I hope you're at this point in your life where you love to get with the Lord. I've said this many times. My favorite time of the day is that time about 7.30 or so to about 8, 8.15, 8.30. When I'm out on the porch in my rocking chair, listen to the birds, seeing the cat there. There's the squirrels. Not distracted really by them, but there's my Bible, and I read and I pray. It's my best time of the day. I hope you have that kind of attitude. I hope that you are excited about the Lord and want to be with him. And I leave that time pretty much all the time satisfied, encouraged, ready to go for the day. Ready to go. And that's what he wants for you. He wants you to be satisfied. Psalm 92, it says, um, my wife told me this verse the other day. It says, uh, be think of your love in the morning. Psalm 90, 90 says, satisfy me with your love in the morning. And so we need that satisfaction from the Lord. That's what God wants for us. But what we see, back to this text here, what we see is a few things. When you're satisfied, you give glory to God, which is your primary purpose. If you're not praising and worshiping, thanking God, it's oftentimes because your soul's not being satisfied. Secondly, when you're satisfied, you'll hunger and thirst for righteousness all the more. 
for you know that this righteousness is that which truly, truly satisfies you. You, you learn, it's, you know, it's not food, it's not things in the world, it's being righteous, it's being holy, that's when I'm really satisfied. That's, that's important. Next, you says when, when you're experiencing this righteousness and you're satisfied, then you'll be an example. This is important. You'll be an example to the saved and a witness to the lost. This is critically important. You being righteous and holy in your life, then you are a witness to other people. And so God wants you to be satisfied. It's not through the flesh that the world has said it, but it's only through God. Only God himself, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, can really and truly satisfy you, and that's what he wants to do. Okay, we're going to finish with just one more, uh, and, and we, we're only going to talk about it a little bit today and then get you thinking about it. Then we're going to finish it up more next week. It's, it's, it's really a lot to be said about this one. Next beatitude, Matthew 5, 7, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. We're just going to talk about the first part today. We won't get to the next part about you receiving mercy. We'll look at more then. But let's define this mercy. It means to be charitable, to be beneficial, to do, to do good for others. It means to be kind and giving to the helpless and the needy. The helpless and the hurting. That's a simple way to define it. It means to be kind and giving to others who are needy. Okay? It's not just having good thoughts, nice words about somebody. It's good deeds. It's compassion in action. It's genuinely helping others in need. So this part here about being merciful is not just a oh, nice little thought you have about somebody. That's not it. We're talking about actions. 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 Okay. To help us understand this, we need to talk about love. Now, we know that love is a general word, and there's many different facets or acts, acts of us of love. You go to 1 Corinthians 13, Colossians, three other places. What is this love specifically? It, what is it? And so we're, we know we're to love people all the time. And we know that we can love people in all kinds of ways. But one way, one specific way we can love others is by showing mercy. That's what we're saying here, by showing mercy to them in their time of need. I'm not going to go through examples here, but, but I, I think about the person of Christ. And if you go through the Gospels, you're going to find dozens and dozens of examples where Jesus was merciful. I mean, it's probably one of the most common things, traits that he showed. He was merciful to people, helping people in their time of need. So that's important you think about that for yourself even today. God wants to help you in your time of need, okay? That's the first thing. Then the next example, you can read this. I love this story. First Samuel 25, and David had his band of men, and he'd been harassed by Saul and others, and, and now he got his own men. I think it was 600 men together, you know, and they're strong. But he didn't have much food at this time, and so he goes there, and there's this Abigail. She was married to this, I can't remember his name now, fool, Nabal, that's it. And Nabal's a bad dude, but bad king there, leader, but here's Abigail, and what a good-hearted woman, a servant of the Lord, and she met his need of food, and you read that story, and she, she hurried, she ran, she got the food, she got the meat, she fed David's men, great example, but I want you to turn to Luke 10, this is the example we want to look at just a little bit here, Luke 10, to illustrate this point of mercy, and it's a, it's a you know this story, it's a story about the, the good Samaritan, but we need to start not in that story. Um, we'll go back to 25 and continue. Luke 10, 25. A lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? 
He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So the lawyer then says, wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? So here's the story. Jesus replied and said, there was a, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. They stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. By chance, a priest was going down on that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, the Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him and when he saw him, he felt compassion. But he didn't just feel it. He came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So it's a story about what? About love. But specifically, the last verse, it says it's a story about what? Mercy. Mercy in action, you see. So a point I'm saying is we need to, in general, love people all the time. But specifically, there are times when God wants us to be merciful to people. That's what we see here. This, this good Samaritan, this guy was in need, definitely in need. And he met his need. He helped him, and he went way beyond the call of duty, but that's what happened here, this example. So, so mercy then acts because of a need. When there's trouble, when there's difficulty, or when there is pain. Love is a constant, and we're to love people at all times, but mercy acts when there's a need, when somebody is in some kind of need. You, you know this, this simple example? A doctor doesn't treat healthy people, right? The doctor shows mercy that he helps the hurting, the sick. That's what we're saying here. And so as Christians, and we are to be spiritual doctors and physical doctors, helping people who are in need. And, of course, the best example is that Jesus died on the cross and met our need by paying for our sins. Ephesians 2, 3 to 5 talks about how we were sinners, talks about how we were separated from God talks about how we are objects of God's wrath, but God showed mercy to us, and he showed mercy to us because he loved us. That is, God's love for us motivated him, you know, led him then to show mercy to us in that specific way. So, so again, we understand that God loves us in all kinds of ways, but one way that he loves us is by showing us mercy, and here we're talking about mercy by being forgiven of our sins. Titus 3 says it this way. You know the verse. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done, but according to his mercy. Same word. Same word. He met our need in that way. And God then, we're saved by his mercy, and God then, we're believers here, and this is very practical. Understand this. These next few minutes, very, very important for you. And God continues to show mercy to those who are saved. As Christians, you've got difficulties. You've got pain. You got problems. You got sickness. You got conflicts. You all have it. I know. I know what life is like, okay? You need mercy from God all the time. All the time. Very interesting. You go back and, and well, just the Greek, let me explain. The Greek Septuagint is the Old Testament that was translated into Greek. I'm not exactly sure when, but it was sometime, of course, you know, I'm not sure it's two or 300 AD, but 
The Old Testament was translated into Greek. It was the language of the day. It was the language all over the world. There's Greek language, also the Latin and things. But, but Greek. And so the song we sang, you know the song we sang? Think of what song we sang that had the word mercy in it. What was it? He has shown you, O man, what is good, do justly, and to love mercy. You go to the Greek Septuagint. So the Greek word for mercy in Luke 10 and in Matthew 5 is this word, elion. You go to the Greek Septuagint, same word in Micah 6. Love, mercy. In fact, the word love is agape. Agape, elion. Love, mercy. Love to show mercy. That's what he's saying. But practically here, think about this. Some of you know the King James. What, is, what does the King James say in Psalm 23, 6? Surely, goodness and mercy. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now, what's intriguing, when you go to the Hebrew for that word, that's the same word, Greek, elion, okay, we're talking about here, mercy that we see in the New Testament. But the Hebrew word, kesed, has two elements to it. One is to bow, one is to be kind. Bow, be humble. Kind, be giving to those in need. So that's the idea. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That is God being good to you. Now, one more example just to see this, the practicality of this for your life. You go to Psalm 136, 22 verses. You know, the last verse says, his loving kindness endures forever. So you know what I'm going to say? What does the King James say? How should you probably better translate that word? Love is a nice big word. Loving kindness, the idea of, of kindness and love and giving and love is translated mercy in the King James. His mercy endures forever. So it's a simple point. You need God's mercy every day. And God wants you to be merciful to others as God shows you the needs of others. That's, that's what we're saying here. 1 Timothy 1, 2. Grace mercy and peace grace mercy and peace we just talked about how we are to love love's a general word and mercy is a specific aspect of that love here we're talking about grace and mercy and grace is the general and mercy is a specific aspect of grace that's what we are saying grace mercy and peace then this verse here you know this one hebrews 4:16 let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Got this throne of grace, and God says, I want you to come to me, and you can have all the mercy you need. Receive mercy and grace in time of need. You will all have needs today, tomorrow, all week. I know you have needs all the time. I know that. You need his mercy. This is so important. And what we're talking about here, the more you receive his mercy, that helps you then to be more one who does what's said here is blessed are the merciful because you cannot show mercy to others if you're not receiving it from God himself, okay? We all know that. So be receiving God's mercy today, tomorrow, this week, the rest of your life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, okay? And then you can apply this verse. Blessed are the merciful. And we'll talk more about that first half next week, and we'll talk more about that second half. What does it mean then to receive mercy? What does that mean? Because it seems like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. It's, it's very important. So we had three Beatitudes today. I believe very practical, being gentle, being ones who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and being ones who show mercy. Again, we talk about a world that is changing, lives that are changing. You need to do what God says. This is what you need to focus on. We get so distracted by things and people and 
this and that and the other, you must focus. You must take the time alone. I ask you to do that. God really wants you to do that. You must get time alone with God where you're pursuing these things, praying over these things, and God then will help you. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's imagine a couple of things here we're going to pray is that uh, it's good to see Charlotte here. She has been gone a couple of weeks, and Jim was back home for last Wednesday, Thursday, Wednesday. So it's still a struggle, you know, and, and it's a challenge for Charlotte. And I, I know there's others here who are caregivers, too. It's not an easy thing, but just keep praying for Jim and for Charlotte both, that God would help them. And, and uh, also, um, I talked to Raphael today and then the other day, too, and just I'm going to say this in general, okay, is they have spent the last month on Wednesday night, their church right here, a team of about 30 people talking about the plans they want to do as a church. Now that they officially are the ones who own the property and the buildings, they're thinking of what should we do. And so they've been thinking and praying and strategizing, and then this recently they've been talking to people, uh, associations, the Baptist Association, that can help them out with money. And so what's going to happen is they're going to be doing a lot of work around here next year. Okay, not so much next, this, for Christmas, this next year. And it's going to be really exciting because they're getting tens of thousands of dollars freely so they can fix up things. So I'm really, really, really excited to hear this. It's just, it's just really a blessing. So I want you to pray for that, that God will lead them because they have different thoughts. And, and, and just like, like one of the first things is a new AC. Okay, so that will be changed and fixed up and other things as well. And one more thing I want to say. You know, there's like what, 30 of us here today. And, and I shared this before, but just to, to give you this vision is, 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 you know, God has moved me to want to write about what the Bible says about the future and about prophecy coming in Christ. And so there's a few of us here, but I just did a quick count. I think it was last night. And so 1,034 people you know, were viewing the website this past week. So that's encouraging. And, and, and there's typically about that much every week. And they are from 30. They're all, I mean, really, when I've gone down all the countries, it's 130 or 40 different countries all over the world. It's just amazing. It just blows me away. So pray for them and pray that God uses that in their lives. And the subject I'm going on now is one about the land is Israel's, okay? And that's why this is a huge subject, huge, huge subject. And in fact, I was just, <laughs> just a quick note here, and I'll finish. I was starting to read um, Osama bin Laden's letter to America. Very interesting. I won't go into it now here, but, but of course, he's got it wrong about Israel. He says, Israel is ours, he says. You know, it's for the Arabs, you know. And, and, and there's a lot of people who have questions about that. And, and the Bible is quite clear. So I'm taking about four or five blogs in a row to talk about so clear. You cannot miss it from the Bible about how the land is, is Israel. So I just pray for that, that God would use it. And, and again, I put the blog posts are back there for you to read or to give to others they're not just for you if you want to know somebody that wants one anyway let's let's just thank the lord and, and pray father we we thank you so much for this time we bless you for your love for us and i i, I think of, of the songs we sang about your grace is greater than all our sin and 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 you save us by grace we we thank you for that and and thank you for your mercy that's that's every day surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and it's so great encouraging 
to know, Lord, that you look at us and you see that we're needy and you want us to be ones who go to the throne of grace so we can receive mercy and grace in time of need. And so we ask you to help us to be ones who are humble before you that way. And then we are merciful to others and help us to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness, O oh God. And help us then also to be ones who are gentle, Lord, before with people. That's what it relates to. It relates to being with people and gentle with them, whether it's the saved or with the lost. But thank you so much for everyone here. Thank you for this church, what you're doing in our lives. We just ask you to encourage us and strengthen us. Thank you for this Thanksgiving day we have on Thursday. I pray, Lord, that you'd lead us to be with the people you want us to be with, and you'd bless that time. Pray that our hearts be thankful. Those verses, Psalm 77, 11 to 15, about remembering the deeds. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Might that be in our heart. Then we'll be thankful. And so just do that with us, Father. But thank you again for Bethel and pray you lead them as a church and the congregation, Lord, and the plans they have for the future and using money, Lord, that's given them to just to fix this place up in some ways, Lord, that, that I believe that you would want. But thank you again for your love for us, God. We are in spiritual battle. We have the devil's our enemy, Lord. We are to be strong in you, strength of your might, Lord. And we know that in you will be protected, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But thank you, Lord, for who you are. Just protect us and keep us safe physically, spiritually, Lord. Lead us, use us, God, for your purposes, for your glory. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So being Thanksgiving week, we will not have any activities during the week, but we will have service next Sunday. So keep that in mind. And then the following week, we'll be back to our Bible study on Wednesday and a men's meeting that Friday, the 1st. So men, uh, we'll have dinner together and time in the Bible. Uh, that'll be December the 1st. And then that Sunday, the 3rd, will be our uh, Christmas Matthew meal. So Two Sundays away, we'll have Christmas Matthew meal. Uh, a little bit early, but that's because everybody's pretty busy in Christmas time, so uh, keep that in mind. And then, as was pointed out earlier, you've got cards today in your bulletins, or if not, they're on the table in the back, I believe, where you can fill out what you're thankful for, and we'll read those next, uh, next Sunday. So if you haven't had that opportunity, take that. Um, and then lastly, if I could, just give you a quick update on my wife, Carol. Most of you know she's going through breast cancer treatment. Uh, we learned this week that her treatment will not end in December, early December like we thought. Uh, it's going to go to mid-April. So uh, a little bit disappointing. But uh, if you could pr continue to pray for her that the treatment would heal, would heal her and then not harm her body because the longer you do it, the more opportunity for that so um, yeah healing and not harming her body so appreciate that now we have our last songs and offering you can give in the back box back there online or mail it in thank you I invite you to stand for our last two songs.
Verse 1 is, we will glorify the King of kings and glorify the Lord of all. Hallelujah to the King of kings. We will glorify the King of kings. We will glorify the we will glorify the Lord of Lords, who is the great I Am. Lord Jehovah reigns in majesty, we will bow before His throne. We will worship Him in righteousness, we will worship Him alone. He is Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. He is Lord of all who live. He is Lord above the universe. All praise to Him we give. Hallelujah to the King of kings. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the so we'll sing it. Joyful, joyful, we adore you. Lord, God of glory, Lord of love. Bye. 
Father, Christ our brother, all who live in love are thine. Teach us how to love each other, lift us to the joy divine. Mortals join the happy chorus, which the morning stars began. Father, love is reigning o'er us. Brother, love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward, victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads the sunward in the triumph song of life. Benediction, Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy is everlasting. Amen. Amen.